Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with this week's host, Helen Hillix. I'm Todd Benton, your co-host. Today's topic, the new sexual revolution, gender outside the box. The old Haight-Ashbury days of free love are over, but that doesn't mean there isn't a sexual revolution happening. Just look at the news. Younger people especially are exploring gender roles and identities in more open ways. What does it mean to be pansexual, as Miley Cyrus calls it? What does it mean to be gender fluid, as one of our guests describes herself? Is there still such a thing as bisexual, or is that completely out? Why is the word queer back in the mix after years of being a pejorative term? What is the right pronoun to use for gender neutral? Join us for a lively, frank, and open conversation among a panel of honest people who live in the reality of this new sexual revolution. What does it mean to them, and what could it mean for you and the people you touch? Tune in and find out. And now, here's Helen. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here with you, as always, and I'm very excited about our show today. We have four wonderful guests whom I want to thank uh, from the outset. We have Mia Hillix, who is my grandniece, actually, and I'm thrilled to death to have you here, Mia. You want to say hi? Yeah, hi. I'm Mia. Um, I live in San Francisco. I'm going to San Francisco State. Um, I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, Mia. And we've got Lizzie Treehart from San Diego. Lizzie? Hi, I'm Lizzie. I'm happy to be here, too, today. Okay. We'll get more into who each of our guests is and their background a little bit later, but I wanted you to get introduced immediately. And then Felicia Don Hershey. Say hi. Hi there. How are you? Good. We're happy to have you, Felicia. Very excited to be here. And your partner, Julia Ensign. That's me. Hey, guys. Happy to be here as well. Hi, Julia. And you guys are in L.A., Long Beach? Yep, we're in Long Beach. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so let's get started. We have been talking about sexuality this month in October, and we kind of decided we'd make it you know, Human Sexuality Month, and we talked about male and female sexuality. We've talked about men and pornography and women and pornography. We we talked about that in our last show and about how all these misconceptions that we have about sexuality in general from our childhoods have have caused so much pain and trauma in our lives. And we decided we would expand our topic to include the millennials, all of which, well, I guess, Lizzie, you're a little old to be called a millennial, but maybe maybe in this particular way, you're still a millennial. But I think it's a good thing to have somebody here also to represent that group that's a little bit older than the millennials from 18 to 35 um, who really are experiencing a sexual revolution, who are spearheading a, a sexual revolution, and who are defining gender outside the box. And this is something that I am completely ignorant about. And it was fascinating to me uh, doing the research for, you know, looking at the research for this show and reading up about some historical realities uh, in the distant past, you know, in the antiquities in Roman and 
Greek times, and also in the Native American cultures, how they have historically welcomed uh, gender fluidity, and how once the Christian faith came in, there was a lot of homophobia around an issue that had been completely accepted and even revered uh, in the Native American culture, for instance. They were a lot of times called two spirits and were assigned uh, an honorary kind of position in the tribe. So it was very fascinating to me to see the the uh, history of this gender fluidity and how rigid it had become for the last 2,000 years in the European world and in the Americas. And I, I think it's fantastic and fascinating to have this revolution occurring now. And I, the first thing I wanted to ask our guests is, why do you think it is occurring now? Any one of you can speak up. Yeah, this is Nia, I'll go. Um, Great. I've, um, I've heard a lot of people say, um, oh, all the kids are gay now, all the kids are making up these new fake genders now. And I don't think it's like a fad that's happening. Um, I think a lot of people are coming into their own and they're talking to a lot more people. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm in San Francisco right now. I just moved here and I'm meeting so many new people. I'm learning about new sexualities and genders. Um, there's a lot of this happening online, people meeting other people online and learning all this stuff. Um, and I think it's just from learning about everything now. Um, it's not like a new fad or anything. Well, it's so definitely you- a safer place. It feels it feels a lot safer as opposed to, you know, 15 years ago. Um and it's out there, you know, we, we, we view it, we hear it, you know, that it's, it's definitely more accessible to now nowadays as opposed to, you know, like I said, a few years back. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, was that Felicia? Yes, ma'am. Sorry, I, I should have said Felicia here. No, I can tell your voices, but maybe our <laughs> listener, maybe our listeners can't. So it would be a good thing if you just say this is Felicia when you start um, I totally agree with you that, and and you too, Mia. That this is not a fad. I mean, how could it be a fad if it is historically documented, happening thousands of years ago, and all throughout history until you know recent years when it became uh, a taboo subject? And of course, that doesn't mean it wasn't happening either, does it? <laughs> so you know, I I agree with you, um, and I'm wondering why. Society. Why do people have the nerve to fight for it nowadays? Uh, I don't know if I'd you like have any thoughts. That one. Go ahead, Liz. <laughs> this, this is Lizzie. Um, well, my example is I came out uh, in like 2003 after I divorced, and you know tried being lesbian for a while, or you know living a, a gay lifestyle, and got scared and went back in the closet, and I did not have any support. Um, at that time, um, emotional support, family support, that kind of thing, and um, moved out here to California eventually and, um, you know, was still trying to be in the closet and realized that it was killing me on the inside. 
I was very disconnected with myself. I was depressed. I was just very unhappy. I just was not me. And, you know, with the help of counseling, um, I could see how by not dealing with that, it was negatively impacting me, and I could no longer do it. I had to let myself be who I am. I had to come back out of the closet and just accept that. And whoever doesn't accept that, then you don't need to be in my life. It's, it's a, you know, your loss, and <laughs> let's move on if you don't like it. So for me, it was How a matter of... How old are you, Lizzie? I'm, I'm 48. Okay, so you grew up in an era when homosexuality and gender fluidity, you know, all of that was much less talked about and accepted. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this last time I came out was just last year, you know, I could feel a difference in society that there was more acceptance. You know, it's still not perfect, but it's definitely better than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, that's fascinating to me because that was only 13 years ago, 2003, and you can already, you can feel the difference. And I, I can too. I think it, that in the last 13 years, a, a tremendous amount of uh, openness has emerged in our, and people fighting for the right to marry and so forth. So, mm-hmm. so what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, Lizzie, you're saying that the what has changed really is that there are more and more people fighting for that openness. So there's more and more support for it. Yes, exactly. Which makes, which makes it easier for other people to come out and talk about it more easily. Um, I don't know if I would use the word easy. <laughs> Maybe, well, more, uh, more, more, more supported, more, 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 more courageous, um, less fearful, but it's not easy. No, no, I didn't mean to imply. Yeah, I didn't mean to imply that it was easy, but uh, I didn't think so. But I just wanted to clarify that. (laughs) Yeah, good. That's good. That's good because I certainly don't want to uh, discount the difficulties that a lot of people have faced in that process of coming out. Did you want to add something here, Julia? I was just going to say I completely agree with Lizzie. Um, you know, it's it 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 is very different, and it feels like in general people are just more open. Um, I'm lucky enough to have people in my life who are accepting and and um, you know just want me to be happy and safe. That's what my parents always tell me. You know, just as long as you're happy and safe, and I support you, and you know, it's um, I am I am blessed that I have a situation like that, which a lot of people don't. But in general, with others who maybe aren't so accepting, they are a bit more open because they see it more. It's more on mainstream media. It's it's kind of in your face a lot more, not this secret taboo thing that most people didn't really know much about. Yeah, you know, I look at the difference between Miley Cyrus and announcing her pansexuality and, you know, it's and nobody thinks a thing of it. And, you know, in the past, Ellen DeGeneres, you know, lost her job because she came out as lesbian. And, you know, decades before that, you know, Rock Hudson, what you know, had to pretend and lots and lots of other actors had to pretend that they were straight in order to get work in Hollywood. So it, it's a dramatic shift in the last 60 years and and even less time than that. Um 
I oh, want to read. I'd like to add something. And oh, oh. go ahead. I can't hear. Um, I'm echoing really bad. Okay, there, it's gone. It's just great to see how things have changed. You know, being an actress, and um, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to you know, film a feature film. You know, the past December, I've played a, a trans character from F to M, and it 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 was great to you know, be able to plunge into this project and, and truly deliver my, my feelings from inside and, 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 and know that we have opportunities like that now and it, the demand is very high, you know. It, it's great to see how Hollywood has changed and it's nice. That reminds me of, you know, we haven't really talked about the, the childhoods or the past experiences except for Lizzie. Um, I'd like all three of you, you know, Mia and Julia and Felicia, for you to also talk about what are your experiences um, with gender fluidity or however you would name it uh, and what has been your process of coming to the awareness that you have today. I'll start. This is Mia. Um, When I was really young, I, uh, probably fourth grade, I told everyone that I was, uh, that I was bisexual. I mean, I was very young. I, I don't know how, um, determined children are with their sexualities because we're so ingrained to, uh, think, you know, kids are straight, but they're children. Um, and as I got older through middle school and high school, I uh, started, I felt like I was lesbian. Um, I, uh, and I thought that I was a trans guy and I, um, I stopped kind of, uh, being who my parents made me to be. Um, for me, that was a phase. I'm not, I'm obviously not saying that um, trans people are going through phases because every single person is different. For me, it was brief, and now I identify as a gender, and I definitely think that this transformation throughout my life has um, brought me to this point. I don't conform to the gender norms. Um, A gender just means that you don't identify with any gender. And I stick to that. And I'm pansexual. I am attracted to people of all genders. And that's that. And our family's pretty accepting of me. Um, And I'm definitely happy for that. Yes, I'm happy for that, too. So that's that's a very interesting story. Starting at nine years old, you were aware that you didn't fit into the uh, traditional gender roles that, that were set out for you. And then you went through several transitions in the process. Uh, and I, I look at that as like exploring different things until you found what really, what really, uh, gives you the full freedom of expression of who you are. Is that how you would say it? 
Exactly. That's perfect. Okay. Good. I, I'm making progress. I still want to get back to, I want to get back to at some point, don't let me forget me and to get back to you about all the different uh, gender, I don't know what you want to call them, descriptions that you're uh, learning about in San Francisco. But Gender identity, sorry. Pardon? Identities. Identities. Thank you. Identities. And uh, we'll get back to that. But but onward to Julia and Felicia, I'd like to hear about your the process that you've gone through, like Mia just described. Um, this is Felicia here. You know, my process started very early. Um, you know, I I grew up in Texas, born and born and raised, and very Southern Baptist family. But I I had the feelings I can remember probably about six, seven, playing house, and you know, always wanting to be the father or the brother and you know I, I started to to go through the motions of being around other kids on a daily basis where you know it was very very stressful very confusing to me because you know there was no outlet I, I couldn't speak with anyone in regards to it you know my I knew my family's take on homosexuality and you know so I I masked it for for quite quite some time. I came out when I was 17 in high school. Um, and I came out as a lesbian and, um, going through my college years and, and just really, really coming into, to, you know, being able to talk about it, be about it and, uh, fully live my life. You know, it was great, but then I, it really didn't answer the, the feelings I still had inside as, as far as, you know, not feeling like a, a, a woman and, and predominantly feeling more like a man, um, you know, I still college days and early 20s, you know, there still people really didn't talk about it, you know, and thank goodness for for Ruby Rose's uh, Break Free video, which is incredible. Um, it kind of blew the doors open and. Um, you know, I, I feel more comfortable talking about it and, and, and honestly getting out of Texas and being here in California has just opened my eyes and my heart in so many different ways. You know, I, I, I don't like to label myself, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm still going through motions, you know, um, and definitely, you know, God made man, the movie that, that we filmed is, 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 is going to be great. It's going to be an outlet as well. And I hope to, keep continuing to, to figure out what I am. And I, yeah, so that, that's kind of my deal. I love that. You know, I love that because whether you're talking about sexuality or you're talking about your spiritual development or your mental development or whatever, we're all expanding and processing and learning and growing our entire lives. So, you know, why wouldn't you continue exploring your sexuality and your identity? And, you know, who, who knows? It may morph 10 more times. Exactly. And it's a beautiful thing. And for so long, I was so scared of it. Um, it it scared me because, you know, acceptance is, is what we, we strive on. And it's just, it's beautiful to see how many, how many people are, are just so happy now. 
being themselves. Yeah, being able to express it. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Felicia. Of course. Ju- Julia? Yeah. Okay, the Julia here. Um, so, yeah, so I, um, uh, I think I believe it said in my bio as well, but I've predominantly dated men um, m- my whole life. I'm 33 today is my birthday. Happy and, birthday. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So uh, 33 today, and um, I am in a very committed uh, uh, partnership relationship with Felicia, and um this is my first, you know, real relationship as an adult with a woman. I've been with women. I've been attracted to women. Um, but, but, you know, I, my first sexual experience was with a woman, was, with, was with, with my best friend. And, you know, that really kind of always stuck with me. And I didn't ever quite feel like I could fully express or try different things because, you know, you go through junior high and high school and you're trying to figure yourself out. And, you know, it's just not a thing, at least that I came from a small town um, in San Diego. And it just... You know, I think there was possibly one one gay person in our school. So it just really didn't feel like something I felt comfortable being able to do. And I was a popular cheerleader and, you know, a lot of people, you know, were my friends. And it just, you know, I couldn't ever quite just try things out. And I dated men, you know, and just had failed relationship after failed relationship. And it just never... Um, quite felt right. I, I felt like I was doing something that just, it just, how is this supposed to feel this way? And I didn't know if it was because, you know, I just picking the wrong people or, you know, the people I was choosing to be with or the gender or, or whatever it was. Um, and so, you know, just kind of being at, being at my wits end of what am I doing and who, who do I want to be? And I kind of just opened myself up to, anything. Um, and within a few days, I think it was two days that I kind of had this breakthrough. Um, Felicia came into my life and, uh, you know, I was just open to being with someone who, who I was attracted to and treated me right. And that's kind of where, where I am today. And I, uh, I think in the question on the, on the, um, on your intro is, is bisexual still a thing? Um, I don't really know. I don't really identify with that term and people try to put terms and labels, but I'm just me. I love whoever I fall in love with. And I've been really lucky to fall in love with, with a really great, great person next to me. And she is a woman and that's kind of my, my whole story. I don't know if I summed it up well, but yeah. I think it's a great story, and I think it's one that many, many people probably resonate with in terms of uh, being able to notice that you are attracted to more than one gender, but being so afraid of of expressing that. And, you know, you're, you're a beautiful girl, and you were a cheerleader and popular, and yeah, all of that stuff, too, I think makes it even less likely that you're going to let yourself express express and explore that in a society at that time that was not that open to it. Right. And I mean, for, you know, since I was 18 years old, my two best friends were, were two, two gay men um, and we grew up together and, you know, I was fully immersed in, in the gay scene in LA and, um, you know, I've, I've been around the scene for, for a long time. So I think that was obviously my way of kind of getting in there and, and seeing what it was about, but not really, you know, going, right. going, through with it um and and the really great thing with Felicia is that she she does have the, a masculine side to her so you know I wouldn't say I'm attracted to a specific type but the the parts that I love about her and the parts that I did love about being with men she has so I 
I kind of get the best of everything, to be honest. So I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, Todd brought up a good point about um, the Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage, upholding gay marriage, and and whether or not you guys believe that that had a, a big impact on this whole explosion of pansexuality and the freedom to express it, or do you think it would have happened anyway? I think it, this is Julia. It may have happened anyway, but maybe not so quickly and may not, maybe not so mainstream. I mean, because everybody was talking about it and knew it was going on. And, you know, I think it, um, you know, a lot of it, like, and also that Felicia noted, you know, when Ruby Rose became popular, it was like, who is this? And started to become like, you know, kind of a fad, a little bit of a thing where people were kind of like, oh, what's this? And new and different. And, you know, it's, I it, guess it does work in, in our favor. And when I say our, I guess I mean just this community of, being able to have more options and being recognized and people being more accepting and, and all that. Anyone else have a thought about that? Whether that Supreme Court decision impacted the community? Uh, this is Lizzie. I'd like to answer that. Um, I, I think it did, but I think probably the biggest thing was the Internet. Um, and just opening so. up people's perspective of sexuality and something outside the box besides being heterosexual. Um, you mean the, the the exposure that people have constantly nowadays because of social media and that sort of thing? Yeah. Yes. And different websites and, you know, not something that you would just go to the library and find a book on, <laughs> which probably, you know, wasn't very likely. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. add on to that. This is Mia. Go ahead. Um, I, um, when the Supreme Court made that ruling, it didn't even seem like a big deal for me because, I mean, I'm the baby of the group here, so um, I've always grown up with this accepting uh, community as far as I've felt. Um, so being on the Internet and constantly being exposed to the queer community the ruling, it was kind of like, oh, yay, but it didn't feel like for the younger kids, like this was a big step. I, I understand, I think, because the, the younger kids kind of grew up feeling the social um, openness that the older people in this group did not experience. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of took it for granted in a way that it, that it was going to be acceptable, whereas some of the people like Lizzie, who's who's thirty years older than you are, uh, you know, had a whole different struggle. Exactly. You know, I I want to read something that I found um, when I was looking on the internet for gender outside the box, and it was written by Suzanne Weiss on Bustle and Kristen Cochran, a sex researcher. And it's just a very simple expression of this topic. You have the right to go into any sexual experience you choose without labeling yourself based on it. Sexuality is more fluid than previously believed with 29% of American millennials in one YouGov survey saying that they've been attracted to more than one gender. 
You don't need to label yourself at all based on your attractions or experiences, and you certainly don't need to label yourself based on how an outsider might feel. Like sexuality, gender and sex are more fluid than many people thought. A good portion of bodies, 4%, according to one estimate by biologist Ann Fausto Sterling, are not easily classifiable as male or female. And even when your body is assigned to gender by someone else, that doesn't mean you have to view it that way. Our society's associations between bodies, personality traits, and gender identity are arbitrary, and you have no obligation to buy into them. If you identify as or want to present yourself as a woman, there's no reason you can't, no matter what's between your legs. I love that. I do, too. (laughs) Thanks for reading that. Yeah, and you know, I've been, of course, thinking about this topic the last, you know, couple of weeks since I've known this was happening, and really allowing myself to take in that, because I I found this a couple of weeks ago, to take in that belief that, you know, if you want to live as a man, and and you have a vagina, or or, uh, as a woman, and you have a penis, or whatever, or go back and forth between them, who's to say you can't? I mean, it's, it just is so, it's so obvious, and yet we have all been stuck in these boxes for so long. It's just, it's amazing to me, and uh, so sad that we haven't shattered these misconceptions so long ago. Mm. That takes, this is Lizzie. That takes me back to, um, I, I helped with the research, and one of the articles, uh, or studies, about Native Americans was that their children, they dress them neutrally and allow their children to decide what they're going to be. And so to me, it's like, well, how long were they doing that? <laughs> and, and, you know, to me it was already happening, but it wasn't until, you know, somebody other, somebody else's beliefs came in and made them forced to decide, okay, you're either a man or a woman. And that's when they started committing suicide if they had to be forced to do something they weren't they didn't fit. It didn't, you know, it wasn't right for them. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting in the research, too, that some cultures already have many different uh, names for gender identities. They don't just have mm-hmm. male and female on their driver's license, for instance. They have many other options. I, I love that. So, this is Julia here. I just wanted to note one more thing is also that. I think with the use of, again, like with the internet and the media and everything, you know, with um, like, for example, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's, um, one of their children is trans and, you know, seeing that happen at such a young age and, and so, you know, out there, it kind of shows people that it's real. And obviously with, you know, Caitlyn Jenner and kind of just all of these things just started happening with trans and just different ways of being and, you know, kind of just very openness and you know that there are all these different ways that people are out there and um, I think with that again it, it comes with pros and cons but I think the good part about it is that you do see it and you go oh wow Angelina Jolie has a trans kid uh, okay you know and you start to maybe formulate your opinion on on that or you're more open to looking at it I guess. I guess. Yeah I think the exposure is an amazing healing agent just in terms of this is real, it's here, you can't deny it, you can't avoid it, it's all over. So, uh, it's time It's time to go back to you, Mia, and, and tell us about 
some of the things that you're learning about sexual identity? Um, can you be more specific? <laughs> well, you said that you had you've been introduced to even some new ways of thinking about things in San Francisco, and I was just fascinated to hear what those were. Oh, um, I oh gosh, <laughs> um, like I keep saying, I've grown up on the internet, and I read about um all of these non-binary genders. Um, But growing up in San Diego, which is, you know, relatively conservative for California, you don't really meet a lot of people who actually identify with these genders or with these sexualities. And um, coming to San Francisco, it's really startling being in this... um, being at San Francisco State and seeing these are real people. These aren't just kids you hear about in the media online. These are people that actually exist, and it's not just, it, it's like you said, like, we're here. It's not just um, a game, you know? So um, it's just so so much more accepting here than it was back home, definitely. On that same topic, um, one of the things that I have not known the proper verbiage for is, you know, what is the correct way to address a person who is gender fluid or gender neutral? Is the is the use of they in terms um, uh, instead of he she is the use of they the only acceptable way to address such a person? I mean, everyone has a different preference. Some non some non-binary people prefer to use she, um, even though I, I identify as a gender, I still prefer she. Um, if you're not sure of someone's pronouns, definitely ask. And if you're not comfortable asking, um, they is generally accepted as um, a safe place to be. But it's definitely up to the person. So definitely ask if you feel comfortable asking. Even if you don't, ask anyway. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that's one of the things that we have to do is, you know, we, we can't just rely on feeling comfortable in situations that we are unfamiliar with. We have to push ourselves, you know, to, uh, this is my belief anyway, we have to push ourselves to be inclusive and to relate to people. And we're going back to the, the inner revolution our principles are oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And we are all in the oneness together. I don't care what your gender identity is or lack thereof. We are all in the oneness together. And it's time that we opened our hearts and our minds to each other and to to do the work that it takes to go ahead and relate to people that you think might be, quote, unquote, strange, Um they're they're just real people. They're just real people going through their real lives. And I love that you said that, Mia. They're just real people. And they're just going through their day-to-day tasks and going to work or school or whatever it is, just like everybody else, falling in love with people just like everybody else. And so we have to push ourselves so that we can become more comfortable 
So if you're not sure, we should just ask. And that's why I'm asking. Perfect. And so, to add on to that, um, I think a lot of people, okay, so if someone is transitioning and they'll ask their family, like, you know, call me by this name, call me by these pronouns, um, people will say, oh, I'm not going to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to call you what I've always known you as. I'm going to use the pronouns that you were born with. If it makes you uncomfortable, think about how uncomfortable that person is living their day-to-day life, experiencing these microaggressions where people aren't accepting you for who you want to be. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, yeah, I that... That is a denial of the person, isn't it? When somebody says no, I'm not going to call exactly. you. Exactly. I'm not going to call you the pronoun that matches how you feel about yourself. I'm going to keep right. you in the box. I'm going to keep you in the box I've always had you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting because that's one of the questions that I had um, written down here. Is what would you say to parents? who suspect that their child might be gender fluid or gay or transgender or pansexual, what would you say? Um, and I'd like to turn it over to, you know, Julia, Felicia, Lizzie, and you, Mia. Can you just repeat, just clarify that question one more time? What would you say to parents if they suspect that their child might be struggling with their sexual identity? This is Felicia. Honestly, you know, like we said, there are so many outlets out there. There's so many, you know, for out youth campaign, they have, they have centers for the LGBTQ. There, there, there's so many things out there for, for parents that to have assistance with these, but I, I would tell them just to let the kid just be, let it, let like the kid uh, figure it out on, on, on its own and, and just to be as supportive as possible. And, you know, embark on the journey with them and, you know, seek guidance and go to, you know, meetings that they have. I mean, there are so, there, there are so many allies out there and, and, and places, safe havens to go. You know, I would just to, to tell them to go on the journey with the kid, with, with them, you know? This is Lizzie. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you might... Uh, not uh, agree with this, but when when my daughter was young, she's 28, I mean, I remember telling her as a pretty young child, you know, about homosexuality or bisexuality. I mean, I, I was ignorant 20 years ago about pansexuality and gender fluid, even though I had an inkling of it, but I wanted to make sure she knew whatever she was, it was fine with me. And, you know, she... she she would just kind of look at me like I was weird or something, but I didn't care. I just wanted her to know. And the same thing with my stepson, who is now 20. Um, I did the same thing with him when he was 10 because he he would, he would had some expressions that made me think that he might be gay or bi. And my husband and I both said to him, you know, are you gay? And if you are, it's totally fine with us. And he said, no, I don't think so. Um, And we've asked him over the years, and it it still uh, comes up in my mind. I mean, he has a long-term girlfriend. I I don't know 
that he is or he isn't, but I really don't care. Do you agree with that kind of tactic of telling your kids, you know, whatever you are, it's fine with me? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally agree because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that growing up. It was, it was, it was <laughs> hell actually. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I fully agree with you on that. And then, you know, it, it's not like you're trying to get something out of them. It's just, you know, letting them know that you're there and you're, you're a solid support system. You know, that's great. It, it gives the, the ch- there's no the boundaries. For, there's just, it's open growth and the, yeah, this is Julia here. I just say, yeah, I would definitely say that even just saying that is just one kind of person you can take off of that fear list. You know, I held this fear list of who I was really afraid, like, oh my gosh, if I tell this person, like, this might happen. And and I, I started to build up all these fears, but if I knew already, because then once I, you know, I was just afraid to, t- afraid to tell my grandmother. When I told her, or when she kind of found out, however it happened, she was just like, oh, like it didn't even, she's just like, well, you know, she, she's an 89, but, you know, I was so scared because she was older and very older, older ways of thinking and whatnot. And if I had a little check off of like, oh, grandma's, grandma's not going to give me grief about it. That would have helped me ease up on, you know, the stress I was putting on myself. Yeah. I want to get back to you, Lizzie. Thank you. Um I would suggest, you know, I agree with everything, and for parents that find it difficult to accept that idea, that they get help, that they go to counseling, that they learn about themselves, where is that fear or that uncomfortableness coming from, because if that part's not dealt with in them, that's going to impact their child. I love what you're saying, Lizzie, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I wasn't even thinking in that line. But how important is that, that if you're struggling, you know, as a parent of or a sibling or a friend or whatever, you know, please get help. Get, you know, acknowledge, acknowledge that it's a painful situation. And even if, you know, I think one of the difficulties in and being open to that is so much of the religious prejudice against yes. it. Yes, I was going to bring that up too. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I don't honestly know what to say about that. That even even if your religion, quote unquote, forbids it. I mean, of course, what I would tell you is you should get a new religion. But you know, <laughs> well, a lot of I was going to you know, share, you know, that I. You know, grew up as Catholic and was Christian, and that was, you know, against those beliefs. And, you know, with the help of this organization, um, you know, what worked for me worked then, but it didn't work for me any longer. So I did let it go, and I found something else that resonates much better. And I would love to see people in general to develop that concept as far as if it works, use it. If it doesn't, is it worth keeping? Because how damaging is it to still keep it? You know, if we if we had that attitude, because this goes back to, again, the principles of oneness, accountability, and mutual support, we are all in the oneness together. And if your religion does not acknowledge that we are all one and that we are each other, then I don't know what good that religion is to you. And we are accountable for the impact we have on each other. And if your religion puts down other people, and makes them feel bad about themselves, then you're not being accountable. 
And you certainly are not offering mutual support for what is for the highest good of all if you're not accepting, accepting everyone as they are. Yeah, very good point. So I didn't mean to get off, you know, maybe that's a sidebar, but I still, you know, I think that's a very important point that we all need to be constantly evaluating our beliefs. You know, do our beliefs support that idea of oneness? And if they don't, then they are being destructive to this whole planet. You know, we can see the outcome of beliefs that are against oneness, that are greedy and self-serving, and that are prejudice against one another and separating ideas. You know, it's brought us to the brink of destruction. You know, we have to find a way to include us all. So if your belief system, yeah, if your belief system does not do that, then it is time to look around and find one that does. Um. Any anybody else want to comment on the the ways that you know Mia? You didn't talk about how parents or friends or whatever can best support. Yeah, um, I really liked what you said. How you told your kids that um, you don't care what they are; you always support them. Um, I was never able to come out to my dad before he passed. Um, But when I was a kid, he always said that to me. And I feel like now, um, just from him saying that, that he would have accepted me. So I think that's definitely an important thing to give to your children is that extra safety blanket. I love what you're saying because you never know, do you? You know, you never know when somebody's going to die and to have that knowledge that you know for a fact he would have supported you is just allows that love to continue to feel solid, you know, even after he's gone. You know, that's very important. Right. I'd like to say I appreciate this conversation because it's helping me. I have a 13-year-old boy and a 9-year-old boy, and we've we've said that, but it just makes me want to reiterate it uh, to them. So I very much appreciate just being a part of this conversation. Well, I'm glad you said that, Todd. And, you know, if I had it to do over, of course, I would include all, a lot more options. <laughs> yes, and I will. I will. And that's the thing. It's kind of like as a parent, it's a little bit, you know, you, you wonder when is the appropriate time. And I, I think I've tried to do it where I feel like they can hear it, you know. But um, so that would be a good thing to for you to just touch upon, Helen, if you have any insight about that. Well, you know, I never do anything at the appropriate time. So you're <laughs> okay. asking, you're totally asking the wrong person. <laughs> well, as but, a marriage family therapist, I, I don't know, maybe you don't. <laughs> well, the, I, what I always say is there is no appropriate time. I, you know, okay. just, just say it. I, yeah. I, I would talk about it. I would talk about it with uh, my daughter and her girlfriends in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were driving places, I, I really liked to have conversations in the car because they were trapped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's one thing. And, you know, and my, and they would ask me, they were very free to ask me questions too, because I was so open with them. And they would say to me, well, are you gay? And I would say, you know, I, I have 
been attracted to women before. You know, I'm not actively sexually gay right now, but I'm not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if the circumstances were right, I'm sure I would I would be attracted to a woman, and and I am attracted to women. And that was the other thing that I I loved in the research that I did was, um, you know, that they were talking about the 29% of people in, I think it was in the millennial age group, have been attracted to both men and women. And I think that's a gross underestimation. I think if, if we allowed ourselves to just feel completely free sexually, we'd be attracted to almost everybody. Agreed. I agree. Really? I agree. Yeah. Really. I mean, we are, yeah, we are sexual beings and we are attracted to everybody. And one of the distinctions they made on Wikipedia under the, the description about what is pansexual is they were talking about, you know, we are not talking about pedophilia or, or uh, necrophilia or bestiality, which I appreciated their saying because I think when we talk about pansexual, people with a very rigid you know, conservative frame of mind are going to say, oh, yeah, well, they believe in having sex with animals and children and dead people. But that's that's not it. It's between consenting adults. And I think that's important to establish that, you know, if that there is a continuum, this is what my belief has always been for a long time, is that we are on a continuum between you know something and something i don't even want to call it hetero and homo because it's but but there is this big range and we are all on that range somewhere and and i think uh felicia in your biography you were um acknowledging being gender fluid and i think that if we all were had been brought up to believe that we were all gender fluid, this whole conversation wouldn't even be necessary. We of would course. Just, yeah, we would just be attracted to whomever we're attracted. And oh, taught, of course. You know, the, this, is a, this is a topic for another conversation, but Todd has just uh, messaged me, you know, that uh, the interrevolutionary idea about sexuality is that sexuality binds on the physical plane what is already bound on the spiritual plane. And we know no limits in in being able to bond on the spiritual plane with lots of different people of different genders. And if we feel that bond on the spiritual plane, you know, that that's when there is healthy sexuality because it comes from that feeling of being bonded spiritually and emotionally with a with a with a person. Yeah, Helen, I, this is Lizzie. I have another point in regards to the research you just spoke of. of sure. Um, that the the numbers, you, you felt it was grossly underestimated as far as the number of people that had, you know, outside of heterosexual experiences. They well, not experiences, but just had been attracted to. Attracted, okay, yeah. That, um, you know, a lot of people aren't free to even share on a survey how they actually feel. Because they're they're inhibited, so oh, I I agree with you that it's way yeah. underestimated. Yeah, and another one of the uh, uh, surveys, I think it was I can't remember a hundred thousand high school students 
and 3.5% of the males said that they had had a sexual contact with another male, but 7.5% of the females said that they had, which I thought either either the males are afraid to act out what they're actually feeling, or they're afraid to report it, or whatever it is. I, I don't know, but I thought that was an interesting uh, statistic as well. Yeah, this is Julian, or just a little side note, I definitely feel like it's more socially accepted for, you know, women to be sexual with each other versus men. It's it's kind of, they, some people view it as, you know, one is a little bit more, you know, something than the other. Um, so maybe that... I wonder that, why. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Why. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I mean, I've seen, you know, young women... Um, you know, quote unquote, making out at parties and stuff when they're drinking, uh, you know, just openly, you know, girlfriends, they're, they're not even in a romantic relationship, but they just say, well, let's try making out. Um, so <laughs> Most of the time that is, you know, to gain attention from, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. But yeah. nowadays, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Right? Who does know? But, but certainly two guys wouldn't do that. Right? Yeah, um, this is Mia. Um, I think hypermasculinity is, you know, such a big thing in our society that guys think, oh, if I kiss another guy, then I'm going to be more like a woman. And then, you know, no one wants to be like a woman in their eyes. So um, they're definitely discouraged to act out on their urges. I think yeah. you're totally right about that. Um, you know, they get into that in this film called The Mask You Live In and, and the hyper-masculinity being so much a part of our culture that uh, to, to admit any kind of feminine qualities for a man is like is the worst thing that you can be. Uh, uh, it's not the truth that it's the worst thing, but we see it. Men see it as the worst thing that you can be, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Accused of. <laughs> You know, just look at the the shaming that happens when men, you know, express some kind of effeminate quality amongst certain other men. Now, we're trying to break that in the interrevolutionary men's group, break that kind of uh, notion of what masculinity means and what a man is. But I, I, I totally agree with you, Mia, and I'm, I'm glad you said that. Well, you know what? I can't believe that our time is up, but we have like two more minutes. And I, I want, we may have time for a couple of closing remarks, but Todd, will you tell us what we're doing next week? Sure. Next week, are you a human? Well, I hope you are if you're listening to this radio show, but do you want to have a real conversation about our world? If so, tune in or call in to Humans for a Real Conversation. It seems like for months we've been bombarded with news stories about power, corruption, discrimination, racism, sexism, and more. Yet because of this, there's hope. The ugliness is rising to the surface for all to see. We've started talking about important issues, and many of us are taking a stand. Whoever we vote for November 8, many of us are wanting real change. Let's use this show to talk about, to talk about it. What value did Bernie, Donald, and Hillary lend to the conversation? What can we bring? Humans for a conversation is all humans for a real conversation is all about finding our commonality and moving forward. Some of us have already started talking about the pain 
and plans we share. Now let's continue that conversation on Interrevolutionary Radio. So drop the signs and the partisanship, bring your fervor and inspirations, and most of all, be willing to be honest. Tune in and call in. Let's turn this electoral season into the beginning of something better for all of us. So, so we've got less. Thank you, Todd. We have less than one minute. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Mia and Julia, Felicia and Lizzie. You've been wonderful guests. I also want to remind people that speaking of humans for a real conversation, this Saturday from three to five, we are having at an event called Humans for a Real Conversation. And if you want to uh, find out more about it, it's from three, three to five on Saturday. And you can email me at Helen at org, And we would love to continue this conversation at that event where there will be people from all different walks of life coming together to talk about what really matters to people. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you guys again for coming and sharing all of your open and wonderful comments with us. Thank you. I want to uh, state that that specific standard time, three to five. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us. <laughs>